0: This is Clutch Fans.
1: Oh, from the parking lot, the Rockets are going to Boston. How sweet it is!
0: And by the way, shout out to the Clutch Fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans podcast. An open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards.
1: Houston Rockets are unbeatable.
0: I'm ready to get on Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty.
1: Welcome into the podcast. We're here at Toyota Center after the Rockets blowout game two win over the utah jazz 118 to 98 uh rockets take a 2-0 series lead uh, against the jazz going back to salt lake city for game three on saturday i'm here with mk bauer a field level media you know him on twitter at moisa um a great follow absolutely just a wealth of knowledge on all things sports mk thanks for being here and what a game this was yeah it seemed like a there were some differences, but it was a bit of a repeat, and then the Rockets just simply annihilated the Jazz.
0: I think the first thing that comes to mind for me was tweeting, I think early in the second quarter of game one, that if the Jazz continued to play the Rockets defensively the way they were, they were going to lose that game by 20 points because the Rockets weren't going to keep missing open three pointers, and they ended up winning by 30, 32. Well, the Rockets didn't miss those early three-pointers tonight. They were open. They hit them early. They were about 20 points late in the third quarter, and they coasted from there. And you and I were kind of talking a lot through the course of the game. And obviously people have been discussing it at great length in terms of what the Jazz are doing defensively against Harden. And I get one aspect of it. The aspect that I don't get is how they're just giving him the lane. He's getting wide open looks for his teammates off the penetration. And that's puzzling to me. Like, when you know how good a team is at shooting three-pointers, at least particularly in volume, Um, Why would you give those guys, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, Austin Rivers, Daniel House, whomever it may be, wide open looks consistently to start a game? I think that's the hole they dug themselves tonight. Harden was extraordinary. We'll get into that a little bit later. But I think the tone was really set by how often those guys got open looks early in the game, got into a rhythm. It really made this thing a blowout eight minutes into the contest.
1: Well, it felt like you know in game one, obviously, they came out with that. I don't want to call it a gimmick defense, but a, you know the wrinkle that Milwaukee may or may not have introduced but certainly made popular against Harden is sort of playing to his side. They didn't do that coming out tonight. They made an adjustment. Rubio was playing him up front, although, as you mentioned, was giving him uh, some open lanes here and there. Um, you know, To me, I think Harden just feasted on that change right out, right out of the gate. He was attacking Rubio relentlessly. He seemed to have uh, a little pep in his step. He was, he was quick. Um, and I, I got to point out that, that uh, it, it became a bit of a blooper because he did that little shimmy where he completely shook and, and, uh, and crossed Rubio, if you will, or stopped on a dime and lost him and had all day. Very Wes Johnson-like uh, you know, like where Harden just stood there. And this place erupted the moment he lost Rubio. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and there was like a, just a huge groan when he missed that three-point shot. would have been an incredible highlight. But for Harden to come out, you know, when they know this is the guy they have to stop, the, the, the Jazz have to stop and have to slow down. He comes out, explodes for 17 points in the first quarter, four assists, four rebounds. I mean, I think that just set the tone. Rockets made it a bit of a blowout right out of the gate. It's really
0: interesting to me because the Jazz, again, were the second best defensive team in the league. And granted, Harden had success against them this season. But as a team, collectively, Utah did a great job defending the Rockets as a team. So for them to kind of come into this series and say we're gonna look at this in a completely different way, approach our defense against our arguably the best player, the best scoring player in the league completely differently, it's strange to me. We heard Rubio say tonight post game that the team hasn't bought in a hundred percent to these defensive adjustments and I don't get what they're trying to accomplish here like I realized after the game one Rubio was kind of patting themselves on the back by saying they held Harden to 29 points on 29, 26 shots and he only got three free throw attempts and he only made four three-pointers and all these things were kind of going right with the scheme even though he lost by 32 well tonight Harden shows you what he can do and yeah they played him up a little bit more straight up but they still when they gave up penetration it was still to the right he still found guys then when he started making three-pointers it was over like there, there's no coming back from his ability to score at will on 18, particularly against a team full of great defenders. Like, let's not get it twisted here. Rubio's a really good individual defender. He really is. And he had some moments in the second half when he tried to make a run when try tried to get back into it, where he was picking guys' pockets and starting to fast break. And he's, Harden is doing this against plus defensive players. He's doing this against the second-best defensive team in the league this season, according to defensive efficiency. That's what makes it remarkable. And they've kind of gone about things in a different way with the hope of slowing Harden, and has really kind of opened a door for everybody else, then in turn opening the door again for Harden. It's just a bizarre start to this series for a team that established itself as a great defensive team to kind of approach it differently, and the, the results haven't been very good at all.
1: You know, I have to, I mean, obviously all the Rockets have done is taken care of home court, right? This series is not over, and I don't want to make it sound like it is by saying this, although it will sort of imply it. I think the Jazz got a raw deal here. I mean, I don't think the Rockets are a fourth seed. I think they're clearly the second-best team in the West. You know, they're up there. They're in the top two. You can make the argument
0: that it's a 1A and 1B.
1: Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. They're certainly in the top two. And, you know, they don't deserve it. They could have given, I think, Golden State a run. I don't know if they could have beaten Golden State, but they could have. They would have beaten Denver, in my opinion. They would have beaten OKC. There's a lot of teams in the West that utah would have beat this is a horrible matchup for them i mean the rockets for some reason as you pointed out great this is a great defensive team in utah and the rockets just dismantle them i mean they they make their greatest strength gobert a weakness uh, and they just exploit it over and over again. And, you know, uh, Rubio uh, spoke at the podium again after the game. And He's been great, by the way, at the podium. Yeah, Terrific. He, he really has. He's handled himself very well. And he said, look, this is one of the, the greatest scoring teams of all time. And talking about the Rockets. So there's very little margin of error. And, and Harden is one of the greatest scorers of all time. He said, look, we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're going to, you know, make adjustments. Um, but he just pointed out that there's very little that they can do. They're, they're going to give up something. They know that. They're going to give up either some open threes here and there. They're going to give uh, Harden some, you know, let him score at times, or they're going to give up some of the lobs. They can't be everywhere at once, and that's that's the problem. The Rockets have those three main options or, or three options with Hart with the ball and Harden's basketball uh, excuse me, in his hands uh, that the Jazz can't stop all at once and that's what uh, makes this series so interesting, it's about it, matchups
0: You used the phrase during the game of picking your poison and, and I don't know if there's a right answer here Dave, t- to be honest with you, but to me giving up the occasional lob is far less punitive than giving up open the three threes. after open three after open three to multiple guys, again Tucker started four for four and all those looks were clean Gordon had another good night shooting. Clean look after clean look. It, it, it's one thing to to give up a three pointer when it's a contested shot. Harden's shots were contested by and large. Rubio was right underneath them contesting those shots. That's just a brilliant player making brilliant plays. The other shots were con- uncontested, open looks, and you got got those guys going. You fed their offense because you're trying to let one guy get into the lane and take a contested shot against one of the best shot blockers in the game right now, Rudy Gobert, and Harden has flipped it on him. He's turned the tables on him by saying, I'm not shooting over this guy. I'm going to pass out. You're collapsing in on me to help when he doesn't really need help, and you are leaving our shooters open. That's the issue I have with what they're doing defensively. And that's undermining everything they're trying to accomplish so far in this series. I'm so curious to see what they're going to do in Game 3. Because as you referenced, it was a little bit different tonight. They made a slight adjustment to what they did in Game 1. I expect more of an adjustment in Game 3. They can't allow, they can't keep allowing Harden hard and get into the lane wide open. And making really easy passes. We've seen them make audacious passes. We've seen them do great things. These aren't great passes. These are passes that guys are wide open. And the Jazz can't cover all that ground because they've conceded themselves to not let Harden beat them. And he beat them both ways tonight, that was remarkable to watch.
1: Let's talk about Clint Capella for a minute. I, to, to quote you during the game, you said Clint's playing his tail off. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I don't think I'm, that's I'm a softening tail. that a little bit. I don't think <laughs> it's said tail, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, you know, he really was fantastic tonight. And you look at the box, and you wouldn't think it was that—that that was the case. Seven points, ten rebounds. I mean, he had three blocks. I mean, he, he had a solid. Uh, game in the box score but he's had much better but tonight he had moments I I honestly thought he had more than three blocks to be honest I mean there were a couple series where I thought he had two blocks you know each time Uh, he was all over the place recovering uh, to help out on defense uh, and, and Harden pointed out you know after the game you know he's that he's you know he's got so much confidence he's gained a lot and he's his ability to go out there and guard guards uh, is what really makes the Rockets uh, you know, great and I think their defense is, is shown. But before we jump into the, the team defense, what did you see out of Clint
0: tonight? The, the ferocity. And, and you and I have gone back and forth this year where he's had moments where he hasn't really been that engaged emotionally and, and he kind of plays it back a little bit. He's a little bit I don't want to use the word soft, but passive in certain spots. He wasn't passive tonight. He was getting after it on both ends of the court. The opportunities weren't there for him offensively because the Rockets were 13 for 26 on three pointers in the first half. That game was over midway through the second half, through the second quarter, over. And it was because they started 13 for 26, all the things we were discussing earlier about the open shots. So he didn't get those opportunities to score, and he still committed himself to the other end of the court, which is a huge plus for him. The rebounding was terrific. I'm with you. Three block shots seemed like a low number. He was challenging. Challenging everything, and when you know you can't get easy dual penetration as an offensive player. Even if you beat your guy off the dribble and you got some guy springing up and challenging every shot at the rim, that deters you from going inside. A. B, the Jazz shot with 21% from threes. So yeah. they were kind of screwed either way. They weren't making outside shots. They couldn't get to the rim because of Capella. Capella was the anchor tonight for them defensively they needed to have. And then, as you said, everything else kind of followed suit after that. Their defense, Gordon and, and Rivers in particular on on Mitchell, continues to be very good. They're challenging guys we need to challenge them, but it all started with Capel tonight. I thought he was as good as he's been defensively as he has been all season long.
1: You know, both games, the Rockets, uh, their defense has, has been extremely sharp. I mean, they held, them, they held the Jazz to 39% shooting in the in Game 1, 39.8 uh, tonight in Game 2, uh, and 3-point shooting. The Jazz have been awful. I mean, it's kind of reminiscent of the, the, the OKC Thunder in their series against Portland, uh, the they can't make shots, 7 of 27 in game one from three, and tonight just 8 of 38, and that's after making a couple garbage-time threes, I believe, as well. Uh, you know, How much of that are you seeing, the Rockets shutting them down from the perimeter, and how much of that is just they're missing some shots?
0: I think we touched on this after game one. We need to believe our eyes, and the Rockets are the second-best team in the league defensively after the All-Star break. They're fully healthy, they're fully committed, and they can challenge teams because of their depth and because of their skill. And I think it's completely changed the scope of how they play games now. And it's interesting to me. And I think Clint Steiner alluded to this a little bit. And we know this from watching the games. These things are kind of linked. Like if you struggle on one end of the court, sometimes it impacts your playing the other end of the court. And I think that because the Jazz have struggled defending the Rockets, it's impacted their ability to really kind of stay in the game offensively. They know there's a great deal of pressure on them on offense to keep pace with the Rockets if their defense is completely locked in. And it hasn't been very good. Again, they have it fully committed to whatever they're trying to do against Harden. It's impacted their ability to defend with, you know, with verve like they normally do. And because of that, they know they have to score. They know they have to make shots. They know what they have to do these things. And I think that person's kind of undermined their ability to, to compete on the offensive end of the court. They have to find some sort of balance, some sort of confidence, one way or the other, to get themselves going. Oh, this is going to be a really short series because the Rockets are feeding into the Jazz's struggle shooting the basketball while playing even better defense, even more committed defense. And that's, that's there's so many things kind of going on. Like, that's the fun part about watching a series. There's 10,000 things happening simultaneously. But the Rockets' defense on Utah these first two games has been tremendous, and you can't take anything away from them based on their their play thus far.
1: You know, the Rockets' uh, history, or I should say this season, they struggle in the third quarter. It's always been an issue to come out and blow teams out uh, in the first half, come out in the third quarter a bit flat. They did that again tonight, uh, and that was the first time I think I saw the Jazz have some success with Gobert on the floor just for a little bit. I mean, they outscored the Rockets, I think, by four, maybe six points in the second half, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But again, a lot of that was Rockets, you know, slacking off and and, and playing, you know, maybe losing a little bit of that edge they came out with in the first half. You mentioned the defense on on Mitchell. Uh, You know, that's been absolutely huge. Uh, Tonight, 11 points, six assists, one rebound, played 37 minutes. I mean, for the Rockets to limit him, to those kind of numbers in that heavy of minutes, this is a guy who really had a huge series last year against the Rockets. Um, had some had some breakout games, and the Rockets have done a fantastic job. But I got to point out, Joe Ingles as well has done nothing. His ten points combined in the first two games. That's crazy. Uh, two of nine from three point range. They've completely taken him out of this series. This is a guy who in last year's first round uh, matchup. Uh, you know, against OKC was was fantastic against Paul George and, and putting up a lot of big games. And in Game Two when they played the Rockets last year, he had a big game here in Houston. So they've taken him out of the series as well. You know, and, and the focus has been uh, with D'Antoni, with Chris Paul, with Harden. What they consistently talk about after this game is their defense, that they're locked in, according to Harden. Uh, that things have changed since they've all they've gotten back healthy, since they've made adjustments. Um, and again, like I said, I just feel like it's a bit, uh, you know, almost unfair for Utah. And you know, I've had the Rockets maybe made a tweak or two earlier, had Daniel House back earlier, or or maybe not had the quite the poor offseason that they had this past offseason. Um, you know, maybe they they don't they're not in this position um, right now. But uh, that's neither here nor there at this point. Um, let's talk a little bit just about Boogie Cousins getting hurt. Do you think that hurts or helps the Rockets? I know we're not there yet as far as those two. I mean, obviously, and I should be clear here, obviously we want Boogie to be healthy. Just for, Particularly know, me, Dave. Healthy. Yeah, and you're a huge fan of, of DeMarcus Cousins. But, I mean, as far as the matchup, it's I hard to say, right?
0: I'm curious on yours. And, and I thought about this obviously watching the game the other night, well, watching half the game and thinking because they had it won and they kind of go to bed and we're going to make some like surprise. I can't make up my mind because it was such a slow roll getting him back into the mix and integrating him into what they wanted to do and he was struggling early so much defensively in pick and picking roles and, but you see the skill and the talent level and the game they played here what they won the, the final game of the four game season series that Golden State won Boogie dominated Capella, like played terrific basketball here, and you saw everything he could be with this particular team. His passing, his rebounding, just the size and strength that he provides for them on the interior, the skill level way more so than any other big they have. And you saw the, you saw the ceiling tonight, but we didn't see enough of that to really get a gauge of how important he is to this team. So honestly, I feel like they'll just roll on without him. Like they went half the season without him. They played brilliant basketball for three years without him. It's pretty much the same court you've had now for the last three seasons. I don't think they need DeMarcus Cousins to survive or or to thrive. I think they had him as, as, as something extra, an asset that they could play in certain situations. Now they won't have that. I think because of who they are and how established they are as a team, I don't think losing him means really that much to them as a collective unit. It means something to me from watching a guy that I really like play and the intrigue of what he would have been to that team, particularly in a matchup against the Rockets, with Capello playing as well as he's played. But honestly, I don't think they're going to miss a beat. I, I think, no, I, I think what they are as a team is already established and set. DeMarcus was just you know, lined up. He was extra. He was gravy and icing on the cake, uh, an extra all-star on, on a heap of all-stars. I don't think they, they, they really feel any dent in their productivity without him in their lineup.
1: Yeah, it's. It, I agree it is a tough question. I do think the Rockets are hurt by this. I, 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 I absolutely admit Boogie was fantastic in that game that the, the Warriors did win. I believe it was a two-point win. Uh, I think as well, Thompson and, and Curry both hit a lot of threes. And I think DeMarcus had a pretty near flawless game. I believe mm. he hit a few threes as well. Yeah. I feel like the Rockets are always going to be willing to give up the 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 post the, the two-point shots as long as they're not constant dunks over and over again they don't want to have two points per possession obviously uh, but you know they're going to come back and 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 come at you with adding in threes i think where the rockets lose out is that defense by adding cousins in there you know they have that ability to take advantage of them in the pick and roll i think it's about matchups now they're either going to be playing looney more or you know bogut at times i think i think it's a different game you don't want the the, the warriors going a little bit smaller and, and faster against the rockets I still like the Rockets' chances, but I think before Cousins was going to need to play, you know, uh, ego-wise, and just like all the other superstars there would want to play, they're not going to want to sit out if it's, a, if it's a bad matchup. I think that there was a, a potential for uh, a little bit of a meltdown there uh, with if, if in that matchup if Boogie played and, and wasn't playing well and, and perhaps hurting them.
0: It's weird trying to get a gauge of, of how fragile the Warriors are right now. Like, I, I think to an extent... We've always kind of been preemptive in thinking that something's gone wrong and nothing really is wrong. Like they have their hiccups and their bumps in the road and they get it all ironed out and they win a championship. Um, man, them losing at home. How did you find out about that, by the way? I went watching? to bed. It was, it was a 23 point lead at halftime. Yeah. I shut it down and went to sleep. And honestly, my daughter sent me a text the first thing the next morning. It was like, how did the Warriors lose? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I was completely oblivious to the yeah. fact they come back and the Clippers had come back and won that game. I don't know like again it's 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 classic words at this point they got it 31 they shut it down they figured the Clippers would roll over and they not only the game they're probably like the series was over at that stage yeah. and now they got to fight a little bit more and they'll they'll do fine they're probably winning the series in five um, I picked them in the sweep they won it in five and it'll be over with but they keep opening that window of doubt for everybody else to kind of look in and say we see vulnerability there and to me to kind of get back to a point you were making earlier about this particular series the Rockets have to recognize the bigger picture here Go to Utah, get a big lead in Game Three, win that game. Utah rolls over in Game Four. I think what's becoming clear to everybody who's watching this series, as you it very eloquently at the top here, this is a bad matchup for Utah. Really is. They are one more double-digit loss away from realizing we have no shot of winning this series. And then what happens from that point moving forward? If the Rockets win Game Three handily, or if they get a big lead and hold on, I think Utah recognizes there is no way in hell we beat this team four times in a row, yeah. four times in a row. If we can beat them at all. If you're the Rockets, that's when you seize the moment, you step on the throat, you finish the series and put all your eggs in a basket, getting ready for the Warriors in the next round, and then you observe and see what they have to go through against a team that's scrappy, that likes to fight and claw, play to the edge of dirt sometimes, and, and, and the Clippers, and you see where it goes from there. I think everything changes to an extent by not having DeMarcus Cousins there, just in terms of the mood. I don't think it changes the basketball for them. But them losing game two at home may change the dynamic of that series and change the dynamic what's going to be a really interesting semifinal series with the Rockets, potentially.
1: Yeah, you know, for me, it very similar. I was watching the game. I watched the whole first half, and I'm like, this is a joke. I watched early <laughs> third quarter. It was 26 points. I said, this is outrageous. I went to bed. I was just checking through my phone, and I don't know, whatever it was, a little bit later, got an alert that said, the Clippers' incredible win tonight. And I said, What? I mean it i it I could not believe it. Hopped up to take a look and then that's when I found out that the, the lead had reached thirty one and they still lost. And I I, I mean it just, it's just if absolutely It makes hard. no sense. When you yeah. think
0: about it in the context of who they are, where they were where the game was being held, I guess the opponent they were playing, it makes no sense whatsoever.
1: And, and you know what's fascinating is Curry was playing very well. I believe he picked up his fourth foul. They they benched him for most of that third quarter. I think he only played like three minutes. And 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 uh, the Clippers came roaring back, and I just thought it was a little bit different. Whereas the Rockets, when you know, got that fourth yeah. foul of the night, played, and they kept playing, yeah, played five more minutes, yeah, because he goes into sort of this "I'm not going to foul" mode, and then, and and they probably were also counting on the fact that he's not going to foul out, but. Uh, I, that was kind of an interesting uh, thing to me. And, I, and tonight, at the, you know, I don't want to say the Rockets were criticized. They weren't, but they brought Harden back in with eight, eight minutes left and I think a you know, low 20-point lead. It just no lead feels safe anymore. I'm not saying necessarily that that's the, the one thing you br- you do, you bring him in with that much time left, but you got to keep it on because, like he says, you can't turn it back on.
0: But to counter that, it, it was pretty interesting to see how long Mitchell played in the fourth quarter tonight too, and I think that was Quinn Snyder trying to get him some confidence going get some shots up, get a little rhythm going into game three. This game was over. The Rockets were my 28 points going into the fourth quarter. It was weird to see all those starters still in the game midway through the fourth quarter. I'm like, yeah. what, what's going on here? It was clear why Harden was still in the game. I had no idea why, why Mitchell and Gobert and Ingles were still in this game when it was a 27-point lead for the Rockets and the Saints. Strange things happen in the postseason. Clearly, we saw it the other night in Oakland. Um, we've seen it elsewhere in terms of how well Portland has played against OKC. I thought that would be a contested series. They've played extraordinarily well. So, you really don't know to an extent what's going to happen. We were watching the Celtics Pacers game earlier tonight, and the Pacers just stopped scoring in the fourth quarter like complete, couldn't score the basketball anymore. Bizarre things happen. So, I think when you're a coach and you have an opportunity to finish a game, Finish the game. Like If that means your starters have to play a little bit longer in the fourth quarter, even if it's a 22-point lead, finish the game, and you let everything else settle itself after the fact.
1: Yeah, raw deal for Utah. You, you, know, We talk about if the Rockets were in the other bracket, but if the Jazz were in the other bracket in the West, I, I think they actually would have a decent chance of getting to get into the Western Conference Finals, which is crazy. Uh, before I let you go, before we close up, Anything in the NBA shocked you? Uh, you know, obviously the 31-point uh, you know comeback was probably the most shocking. But anything else? Or I don't want to say shock you, but anything else jump out at you that's been interesting about the playoffs? I don't get
0: Philadelphia. I, I can't I, I can't wrap my mind around what they are. They have all this talent. They still haven't put it together. They're not a co- cohesive group. Look, we saw Brooklyn come in here and win a game against the Rockets when Spencer Dinwiddie lost his mind down the stretch of that game and into overtime, and I get they, they're a fun team to watch. They have a great amount of balance on offense. They play at a sickening pace in terms of getting you up and down the court and speeding you up and making you take shots you don't want to take. Philly should not be anywhere near contested in this series. They have way too much talent, and they actually have postseason experience. To me, they're, they're the, the Eastern Conference version of OKC. Like, I just don't know what I'm watching from game to game. No. And it's maddening from an outside perspective, kind of being a low-key fan of what they've put done and put together. And they just play like garbage half the time. Like, how do you have all these great players on one team and you can't figure out a way to win games? Or it's a challenge over and over again. Or you lose five games and row down the stretch. Like, I don't know what they're doing. And OKC is OKC. Like, it's weird. I kind of, you know, poke fun at you and, my daughter and you know Craig um, Craig Ackerman was saying on Twitter everybody's so f- afraid of OKC. I'm like, why? Like, I don't get it. Like, I understand they have guys who can defend hard, they have numbers, but man, they're apt to play like garbage more often than not. Like, they you talk about teams having weird seeds, like them being a six seed given their talent is strange to me. They could have very easily been an eight seed. If the Rockets have won that game in Oklahoma yeah, City. Yeah, don't which, I, they, yeah, which they should have. They're a team that is so uneven in their performance that I picked them to win that series against Portland, and they may up getting swept. Like uh, It's it's weird to me. So those two teams are the two teams that have kind of mystified me yes. for most of the season. And watching them play so far early in the postseason, it's been re- really more of the same.
1: You know, for me, it's OKC, and that's exactly what I was going to point out. I I am floored. I would have, uh, you know, bet anything they would have won that game, too. Uh, I, I just can't believe it. Portland, to me, seemed like one of the most vulnerable teams playing yep. into the playoffs without Yusuf Nurkic. And uh, you know, OKC swept him during the season 4-0. Uh, it stuns <laughs> me. It just yeah. weird team I mean, man, down, weird they're team. down 2-0, and I mean, I got to be honest, OKC. I mean, they, they fascinate me because Russ, yeah, as you know, drives me insane. I, I, I watch the guy, and he 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 angers me. I yeah. mean, I watch him, and I feel like this guy is just like, how does he come away with some with some of the stuff that he does? But I just also have always felt that this guy is 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 overhyped. That he's just not as good. I mean, I, I absolutely recognize the athletic greatness, but that he's just uh, not as anywhere near efficient as people have believed him to be and has sort of been able to dodge a lot of criticism, I will say, up until now. He's getting blasted. He's getting it this yeah, year. He is. Yeah. He really is getting it now. Um, but, you know, I, he's, you know, just there's been a lot that he's been able to overcome because of some of the triple-doubles and some of that stuff, and I just feel like this is a guy who really hasn't developed his game very much in five, uh, eight years, whatever it's been, and uh, I you know, if I'm OKC, and I know this would never happen because he is the, you know, the the, the guy who stayed, the guy that everybody loves in OKC, I move Russell Westbrook. I, I mean, I trade him. And now, granted, this is a team who could still go to the Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they may still win the series, which uh, I wouldn't be surprised. But that is the one thing that I would do if I'm on that team, and that's tough to do because you got Paul George and you're there. But I would. I, 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 there's a lot of players. Lillard, I'd take over. Westbrook any day of the week. There's just many players. you got to be able to shoot threes in this league, play guard. you got to be able to defend at at least somewhat a decent level. He's been better this year. To me, his strengths don't overcome uh, the weaknesses for a superstar player.
0: I will say this. I'll end on this. I think he's getting his lunch handed him right now by Damian Lillard. Yeah. And if the series continues this way, even with his defiance, he's going to have some explaining to do, you know, in terms of how how much he's been dominated this series by a, a, a competent level guard to, to him, um, a, a comparable guard to him. It, it hasn't been close. I mean, Lillard has been way better. He torched Westbrook in game two, and I don't understand, how, as much as he's done a good job of deflecting criticism because he has such a contentious relationship with the media there in OKC, I think that helps. He's not going to be able to dodge this. If they lose this series in four or five games, and he continues to play poorly, and Little continues to play at an elevated level, there's going to be a lot of talk about where he is At this stage of his career Because I think you and I have kind of said this in passing His game's not going to age well because of his athleticism yes, exactly. And if we're starting to see the beginning of the end Right now in terms of his, his vulnerability His, his efficiency there's going to be some in-person conversations to be had this offseason
1: with Oklahoma City. Absolutely, and his contract is enormous. Uh, that's MK Bauer. You can follow him on Twitter, at Moise Capenda. Um, always love having you on the podcast, N.K., and we'll be back either, here for either Game 5 or the first, uh, well, maybe it won't be Game 1 of uh, <laughs> the next round series. Uh, it'll probably be Game 3, yeah. uh, most likely, of a second round series, if that's where it comes to. But otherwise, we'll be back here for Game 5. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you, Dave. Yeah.